You know what I've always thought was surreal? The passage of time. I often stop to think about how different our world is with every passing moment. I think about how those moments add up to the minutes, hours, days, and years, and how they bring about unfathomable change. Think about all the things that we would be considered magic hundreds of years ago, from cars to phones to the internet. We live longer, we create virtual worlds, and we've changed entire ecosystems simply because we can. It really is fascinating stuff. But personally, I'm more into the little things, the simple changes in our own norms and traditions that often are overlooked and underappreciated. I frequently wonder what our world, or rather what my world, would look like if those traditions were different. As an example, there used to be a time when kids wanted clowns at their birthday parties. I'm sure that if you suggested such a thing today, your kid would give you a strange glare that said, why on earth would I want someone in creepy makeup at my birthday? I guess they don't find as much amusement in balloon animals when they've got iPads since they were two. But I digress. I was having a conversation with my wife about what to do for our son Adrian's sixth birthday. She suggested we go the standard route and take him out and some of his friends to an amusement park. But being the overachieving father that I am, I wanted to do better than that. I wanted to give Adrian an experience that I knew he'd hold high in regard for the rest of his life. Or at least over the next few years. What if we threw him a birthday party with a clown? I suggested. My wife scoffed. <laughs> a birthday party sounds great, but a clown? I don't think any kid today would be thrilled to see a clown. I hope most adults wouldn't be too comfortable around one. Come on, I pleaded. I think you'd really enjoy seeing one. He could do magic tricks, plus we could have food and a bouncy house. Kids love those things. My wife crossed her arms and eyed me up and down, intensely suspicious of my motives. Placing her hand to her chin, she gave me a wry smile and pointed out, You want to relive some of your nostalgia, don't you? I couldn't deny it. I wanted my son to have the same fun I did when I was a kid, and damn it, if a clown was going to be part of that, I didn't see the harm. Still, my wife gave me a little bit of pushback, but in time she reluctantly agreed and we went about setting everything up. The clown we ended up going with came from a somewhat sketchy website. In hindsight, we should have gone to a more reliable source, but as you may expect, party clowns aren't exactly in vogue these days. We figured what we got was what we got, and that it'd be good enough. Luckily for us, preparations for everything else went great, as we were able to get a few friends and family to help set everything up. On the day of the party, everything had been a complete success. The kids were happily playing. The parents were excited to see their kids enjoying themselves. The party was going according to plan. After cake, we managed to sit all the kids down in the backyard for the guest of the hour, Bongo the Clown. But from the second Bongo came through the back door, I knew this shit was going to be a disaster. A boisterous clown with a large suitcase strolled through the door in typical clown attire. The goofy yellow suit, large shoes, big red nose, white makeup, and rainbow wig were a clown's textbook trademarks. And at first glance, he definitely fit the bill. Still, the raspy, cigarette-burned voice 
cold eyes and forced smile told the story of a man who I could have easily told really didn't like being laughed at. My wife whispered to me that the man gave off the vibe that he'd seen more dead bodies than laughing children. Hello, boys and girls, he said while giving them a goofy wave. My name is Bongo, the clown. I heard we all had a special little man here. I don't think Adrian knew what to make of the clown. I could see the gears turning in his head, trying to make out just what was in front of him and what the proper way to respond should be. Before he got a chance to really figure out, one of the girls attending the party shouted, We don't like clowns! from behind him. Both of her moms were chaperones at the party and quickly ran over to scold her for insulting the man. For the smallest fraction of a second, I could see the man flash a scowl that matched the fleeting daggers he had in his eyes. He must have caught himself showing how he truly felt because he quickly switched back to kid-friendly, made by responding with a nervous laugh and an attempt at a witty report. Well, little girl, between you and me, I've heard that Clowns is a jerk, but Bongo is full of fun. He pulled a balloon from a tiny pocket in his chest, gave it some air, and quickly fashioned it into the shape of a dog. He then politely handed it to a boy in the front row with a wink. The little boy cautiously took the balloon animal, but one look back at his disapproving peers destroyed any hope of him taking it as a gesture of peace and goodwill. Turning back to the balloon animal, he frowned and yelled, She's right! Clowns are stupid! Popping the animal as he did. Immediately after, another young girl in the front row followed with, And you smell funny! Before long, there was a mini-uprising of kids, each one making sure to voice how much they hated Bongo the Clown. One especially unruly child even launched a piece of cake at Bongo where it lodged in his wig. The rest of the parents and I had to step in to calm everyone down before the children started a full-blown riot. Quickly, I managed to sneak Bongo into the house where I helped him clean the cake and change back into his street clothes he had in his suitcase. Look, I, I, I'm really sorry, man. I started. I didn't think any of this would happen, and... I'll absolutely pay you for the whole day. The now semi-normal-looking man stared at me with a disapproving look. He scratched at his patchy beard and ran his fingers over his bald head before waving me off and going back into his suitcase to pull out a small bottle of rum. You know, he said, taking a large swig, you've got some pretty shitty kids out there. He then took another gulp and muttered something about them being little bastards. I understood the guy had a rough go of it, but that seemed overly harsh to me. I got that their behavior was unacceptable, but at the end of the day, they're kids. And I felt that I need to confront him and about how he was treating them. Hey, that's my boy and his friends out there you're talking about. Look, I'm sorry about what happened out there, but most of the children are years away from reaching double digits. Cut them some slack. And that's an excuse. Maybe you should do your damn job as a parent and teach those fuckers not to treat people like that. Four parties like this. This week. And I always sit back and take it. All because I'm the clown, right? You're all supposed to make fun of me. I'm just trying to make a damn living. I wasn't going to stand there and be lectured about parenting by a clown. 
I marched up to him so that we were almost nose and nose and stuck my finger in his face. Look, I said I'd pay you and that I'm sorry, but if you keep insulting... Look, I said I'd pay you and that I'm sorry, but if you keep insulting my kid and my parenting and my home, you're going to have to worry about a lot more than a broken ego. He scoffed. <laughs> yeah, okay. Packing all of his stuff into a suitcase, he turned to leave. But just before he got to the door, he stopped and turned around to look me in the eye. You know, I bet half these kids are probably monsters at home, too. Their parents don't want to put up with their constant bullshit, and yet they do, because if they didn't, those kids would spend hours and hours bitching. He sighed. But I suppose it's your kid's birthday, and you did order a clown. Not enough kids to see clowns these days. A disgusting smile started to form on the man's face. So, how about I give them a clown? He dropped the suitcase to the floor, and I watched in pure disgust and horror as his already wide smile stretched literally from ear to ear. His lips began taking on a blood-red pigmentation as they puffed up about three times their size. Rows of long, thorny-like teeth began pushing through his gums, and his already pale skin began to turn pearly white. Tufts of brown, patchy hair had started to emerge from the right side of his head, and a seam formed in the middle of his face, giving it a stitched-together mask-like appearance. Dark circles appeared around his milky white eyes as they widened to the corners of his face. And in the center of it all was a large, goofy red nose. I was so focused on his face changing right before my eyes that I was shocked to see his clothes had reverted back to the clown costume he was wearing earlier. He was also now twice as tall with disproportionately lanky arms and legs with fingers tipped in talons. He let out a petrifying cackle as he slammed straight through our closed back door. I ran outside in hopes of catching him only to meet the multiple pairs of terrified eyes looking above me. I spun around to see him clinging to the top of the house, looking down at us, salivating. Everyone was frozen in fear and I could tell that he took pleasure in seeing our frightened faces. In an instant, he'd swooped down, positioned on all four of his now backward-facing limbs. He moved with incredible speed, managing to literally slash through the crowd of screaming people. I remember watching as he pounced on one of the parents and their ripped-off jaw in one fluid motion, laughing violently as he went. There wasn't anything in his path that he didn't make an effort to destroy. In a desperate attempt to defend themselves, one parent took the cake knife and tried to stab down the demonic clown, but he merely laughed as the blade made contact. No blood came from the wound, and the clown made an awful joke about how he wasn't going to cut him off that easily before driving his hand straight through the man's heart. Perhaps the most sickening was when he chased down the little girl that threw the cake at him. He corralled her up against the wall, unhinged his jaw like a snake. In a flash, he swallowed her whole, the muscles working her body down his throat like a snake. But when he locked eyes with my son, I 
Everything happened in slow motion. Adrian was cowering in a corner, unsure of what to do or where to go. I ran towards him. I didn't think I'd be able to stop that clown, but I could at least get in front of him and maybe buy Adrian some time, but... It was as if the clown could see in 360 degrees. Without taking so much as a glance at me, he snatched me up by the neck with his impossibly long reach before I could even reach my boy. He held me in the air with a tight stranglehold, just barely giving me the room to breathe. Bongo loomed over my son. It looked down on him like a hawk eyeing its prey. Slowly, he leaned in toward Adrian until they were face to face. And then he spoke with that same human, raspy voice he spoke. Adrian, I got a joke for you. I could see the pools of saliva forming under him. My son had no words. All he could do was scream and cry in the face of this creature. Bongo laughed. <laughs> no, no, I swear it's hilarious. If you answer this correctly, I won't kill you and your dad. What does the clown call the little boy that made him smile? I screamed for him to go away and that I'd do anything to make this right. He simply slammed me on the ground and told me to shut my mouth. For a moment, his voice taking on a much more demonic quality before turning back to my son. He looked deep into Adrian's eyes, and in a moment I'll never be able to explain, I saw Adrian smile as his whole body relaxed. That's right, boy. That's right, Bongo exclaimed in a sing-songy voice. A fucking happy meal. And in less than a moment, Adrian was gone, consumed by the clown that I'd hired to make him happy. The demonic thing before me let out a loud belch and stood upright. He turned to me for a moment and flashed a smile. I watched frozen as he calmly collected pieces of the various body parts strewn about and stuffed them into his large suitcase. Making his way to the back door, he spun around and announced, Thank you all. You've been a terrible audience. He then took a bow and disappeared. Moments later, I heard his car driving away. The police were called, not just by the surviving parents, but the neighbors who had heard the chaos. Everyone had a million questions, and all we could do was give them the same answers. No, I don't know what happened. Yes, it was a clown. No, I wasn't under the influence of drugs. And no, I'm not lying to you. I must have said those statements thousands of times over. I even managed to show them the site where we hired Bongo. It was weeks of questioning and evidence collection. Maybe it was the alcohol, the imminent divorce, or my gentle numbness to everything, but I never even saw anything on the news. There was no big story about the massive party massacre at the hands of a crazed clown creature. I remember finding it odd. It should be everywhere. There's something out there that's insanely dangerous and the whole world should be doing everything they can to make sure it's dead. That isn't to my buddy who works at the department. Told me that the cops actually believed our story. They'd seen footage of the thing from our neighbors and had looked into similar incidents. Still, 
They didn't want to cause a panic over something they had no control over. In fact, they tried to hide evidence, pay people hush money, and convince the general public that there was a tragic accident, a drunk driver crashed through the backyard or something like that. I don't remember. Either way, they were cops, not demon hunters. What a load of horse shit. Honestly, fuck them. You see, ultimately, the passage of time has been an interesting thing. I suppose some things take more time to change than others. For Bongo, mere seconds is what it took to become something completely inhuman. My transformation has been much more of a slow burn, but I know I've changed too. The most notable developments include my many new addictions, one of which being the drinks I'm partaking in right now. But perhaps the thing that is most self-destructive is my new life path. I bought a house in the middle of nowhere and dedicated the past ten years to find that damn clown. I've seen a lot of information regarding things like him and the trail of destruction and pain they left behind before. It's far too much to get into here, but I figured knowledge is the greatest weapon I can have. And once I feel satisfied that my weapon is strong enough to take him down, we'll see who has the last laugh. Growing up in a small town meant a lot of regulars. Places, routines, people. The gas station convenience store was a small microcosm of that greater regular. 6 a.m., Bill Donner stomped in on his way to the slaughterhouse for cigarettes and a package of powdered donuts. 7.15, the bus stop kid huddled around the magazine rack looking for the latest swimsuit edition. 8.30, Dr. Mangan pulled up for a coffee and a copy of that day's paper. I was used to all of them, knew their names, their families, where they lived and worked. They made the mornings simple, regular. The evening shift was a bit less predictable, seeing more folks who were just passing through with the exception of Earl. There was one man routine was made for. It was him. Earl was a tall fella, easily over six feet, and he had the leathery tanned skin of a laborer that contrasted with his straw-colored hair and pale eyes. Despite his size, he took to people calling him Mouse, sometimes on account of how quiet he was. Except for the occasional grunts, he didn't speak, never had, and he always had a way of sneaking up on you so you didn't know he was there until he tapped your shoulder. Anyone new to town said that they found him off, creepy, even, what with that habit of his staring with that crooked smile. Truth was, a head injury as a baby had just left him slow, was all. If you gave him time, he could write out simple words, and he used gestures well enough to get his point across. He worked odd handyman jobs around town and lived alone out by the swamp in the house his parents left him. But otherwise, I didn't know a whole lot about him. Except for how much he loved our pre-wrapped sandwiches with a cold Coke and a Hershey bar. Came in for them every night at 5.50 on the nose. He would nod toward the cashier on his way in, walk to the shelves for his item, then lay down with a reverent kind of care at the register. I saw him at least three times a week, depending on scheduling. You doing okay, Earl? I'd asked. He'd bob his head once, maintaining steady eye contact while he did. 
Even with the smile, or maybe because of it, it could be a bit unnerving the way he kept his gaze on you like that. Like, you never quite knew what he was thinking. I gave him his total, always the same, and he'd painstakingly count out the dollars and coins, pushing them one by one across the counter to me with the tip of his pointer finger. He never wanted a bag, preferring to carry his things against his checkout to his old pickup. The thing was held together by paint chips and rusts, and as he climbed in, he'd pat the roof affectionately like he was thanking it for still running. Same thing every day, pretty much down to the minute. Momentary discomfort aside, I didn't think Earl was dangerous or anything. Just a bit different. Then one evening, he missed his usual visit. I only noticed it when it came time to clock out at 8 that I hadn't seen him. Even then, it was only a passing thought that hardly lasted a minute. I was too busy looking forward to getting home and settling into a nice hot bath. I made it about halfway down the quiet country lane toward my house when I noticed the beat-up truck sitting on the side of the road in dusk's fading light. My headlights fell on Earl. Leaning against his tailgate, his face all wrinkled up with worry, and there was something so childlike in his expression that I had to pull off behind him. You doing okay, Earl? For the first time... He shook his head and pointed helplessly to his truck. I squeezed my steering wheel inside. I wasn't in the habit of giving near strangers rides, but I couldn't just leave him there when it was clear he was in such distress, especially not when I knew the town's only tow truck was out of commission while Dave was on vacation. You live out in Cedarwood, right? I asked. He perked up and nodded. Well, it's a little out of my way, but I can give you a lift home if you want. He was already coming toward me before I'd even finished making the offer. The car seemed to shrink with Earl inside of it. He even folded up like he was. He took up a lot of space. I leaned away toward my door and was only slightly aware that I was going faster than usual once we got on the road again. My passenger stared straight ahead, hands on his knees, quiet. I thought about trying to fill the silence with... Small talk, but decided against it in favor of the radio. Not like Earl could have answered anyway. The turnoff to his place was hidden between trees hung with thick Spanish moss. Crickets, frogs, sang from the swamp behind his house, a two-story that had started to sag with age. Old car parts, tools, and debris littered his overgrown yard. It was exactly the kind of place I'd imagined for him. Alright, Earl, here you go. You got a phone so you can call around about... I stopped short, embarrassed. Of course, he couldn't make phone calls. He stared at me and smiled. I could, uh, make a call for you, I guess. I offered, although I wasn't exactly thrilled to do so. You want me to call the sheriff and let him know about your truck? He nodded and motioned for me to follow. Oh, you, you want me to call right now? Another nod. I sucked in air through my teeth and gave a subtle look around. He really did live in the middle of nowhere, didn't he? He tapped my forearm with a fingertip and inclined his head toward the dark house. Yeah, uh, okay, I finally said and climbed out of the car with him. As we climbed the rickety porch steps, he held out an arm and pointed towards some holes eaten through the wood. When he was satisfied I wouldn't step in any, 
He crossed the front door and held it open for me. I barely even crossed the threshold before the smell hit me. Heavy, sick, and its sweetness stuck to everything. My daddy had been an avid hunter when I was a little kid. Smell of death isn't one you forget, and Earl's house reeked of it. My stomach flipped inside out, suddenly screaming at me that something was very wrong here. I threw my arm over my nose and turned to find the doorway blocked by his large frame. He was still smiling and waved for me to go further into his stinking house. With my nearest exit block, I shuffled reluctantly forward. The floorboards groaned with each step. Earl flicked on a light, dim but enough to chase back the worst of the dark. I was trying hard only to breathe through my mouth, although the stench was bad enough to coat my tongue and I was all too aware of how close Earl was. There was nothing mouse-like about him at the moment. The narrow hallway in the front of us, half taken up by a staircase, branched off into three rooms. Earl gestured toward the nearest one and then put his hand against his ear like a phone. He stayed on my heels as I walked towards it. The smell was getting worse. The light came on. An old phone sat on a side table next to a lumpy couch, its brown floral fabric covered in stains. And lying upon it, her flesh shrunken and molded, her dark hair matted into clumps, was the decaying remains of a young woman. My scream startled Earl, who stepped back, and I took advantage of his surprise. I darted past him, shrieking, and ran for the front door. His footsteps seemed to shake the whole house as he chased after me, making guttural grunting sounds as he did. I threw the door closed as hard as I could as I went through, but he stopped it from closing with a meaty, outstretched hand. I made it to my car only seconds before he reached it and frantically slapped the lock into place. Earl crouched, his heavy forehead pulled into a frown, tapped his fingers hard against the window. I jammed my keys in the ignition, set it in reverse, and pressed hard on the gas, sending my car shooting backwards. Earl made a brief attempt to follow, banging once more on my hood, but I kept going until I was all the way out on the road where I spun towards town. The drive to the police station was the longest I'd ever made. The search of Earl's house turned up three more women inside. They had died anywhere from weeks to months before, based on their various states of decomposition. He was immediately brought in for questioning. But the sheriff told me Earl was crying too hard to answer any. I thought it was guilt at being caught, maybe fear over what was going to happen next. The sheriff, however said he was more like a child who didn't understand what was going on. They put him in a cell, where he eventually cried himself to sleep. The next day, Dr. Manjin, who'd been everyone's physician for the last three decades, was brought in. They thought having someone Earl was comfortable with would help the interrogation. It lasted for hours, after which I was told what he'd said. They'd asked if he killed the girls. He shook his head. They asked how they'd come to be in his house then. He'd written out that they'd found them already asleep. Where? In the swamp. How? 
with the same painstaking care that Earl used to count his money. He'd written, I heard them. When pressed for what he meant, he dragged his fingers like tears down his cheeks, crying. And then he was asked why he brought them to the house. They wanted to go home. I took them. I helped. They stopped crying and have good sleeps. I helped. Do you believe him? I asked the sheriff after he'd finished updating me. He was quiet for a moment. I don't think so. So what happens now? Full investigation, maybe a trial? Earl will stay in jail while we figure it out. Good, I muttered, and to my surprise, the sheriff shook his head. How's it not? You've got him. I have a man in custody who thinks he helped an already dead woman have good sleeps. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that he has anything to do with their deaths. My gut says he didn't. You know what that means? No? That the person who did kill them is still on the loose. And now, there's no one out there to hear their cries. <laughs>